and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm Skylar Sanders here with my leather-faced gimp friend, Mason Weir. Gimp? Are we going that route with this movie? You know what a gimp is, right? I do know what a gimp is, and I didn't pick up on any gimpisms. I just thought maybe maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe it was a gimp thing. No, no. We're going southern, baby. Deep in the yeah. heart of Texas, the backwoods. Do they call it the backwoods if it's the desert? Um, no. <laughs> What's, what do they call remote areas of the desert? The desert. It's all just the desert. <laughs> it's all the desert. All right. There's no, well, there's no woods. I mean, <laughs> the back, the back cacti. We're going to the back sands of the desert. <laughs> back sand. The back dunes. Yeah. And this is going to be. The review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out in 1974 and got 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. These guys do not know what they're doing. Okay. Did you you hear how proud I was whenever I said 89%? (laughs) I I did hear that, and I was a little, it it made me bitter a little bit. I was like, ugh, this asshole. Well, I feel like you are the one that brought this movie up, but it's become me defending the movie now and selecting the movie and i don't think that's actually the case i don't i'm pretty sure i didn't bring texas chainsaw massacre up considering that i'd never watched it before this and it's right up your alley of movie well, all movies are up my alley i've got a wide range now this is like this is in your sweet spot and you have seen this movie you don't remember seeing this no i don't remember seeing this movie ever there's a scene that we laughed about extensively, and I'll save it for when we get to it because it's pretty funny. Yeah, all right. But I'll save all that. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is grading this on a horror movie scale, I would think, because it's not hey. an 89% movie. Yeah, they must be. As a horror movie, it, it really is. It's one of the all-time greats. It's one of the first and classic movies of its type. But as a film... It's not Titanic. It's not even Silence of the Lambs. No, uh, and that's true. I should mention that in the context of uh, in the context of horror, I actually found some stuff that I really enjoyed in this movie. So I'm not going to rate it as badly as you think I am. But it, in in the context of a larger movie, like considering the two movies we watched before it, like I, I don't think it's anywhere near there on the entertainment scale. No, probably not on the entertainment scale. I, I couldn't see myself watching this movie once a month like I could Natural Born Killers or even Silence of the Lambs. So I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, and it does have its own special place in history. There's one thing about it that's not special, though. And that is the cast. Yeah. Absolutely horrible cast. I don't think I know anybody. I've never been more excited about a cast list in all of our podcasts because this one is going to be the quickest one ever, I think. Yep. We have Sally, played by Marilyn Burns. Well, I actually didn't even write down the names. Is that the right one? Um, yep. Marilyn Burns is Sally Hardesty. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> All of these actors, are. it says on their page that they're best known for their role in this movie. So that's not yeah. good for their career, probably. Yeah. There's also Franklin, who is the wheelchair-bound brother of Sally. And I think... He's either the star of the show or the absolute turd of the show. I think he's just the turd. You don't like him? 
No, I don't. He's like, uh, he's just like a complete downer. And I get it. He's in a wheelchair. Life sucks. But come on, man. You got to be, you got to, you got to lift yourself up, you know? Yeah, he's the real. I'm not going to do it. I'm not saying it. He's, he, <laughs> he's a real stand up guy. I will say at times he's down for his friends. That's his problem. Is sometimes I thought he should have stood up more for his friends. Yeah. He is very pessimistic, as you say, but I just loved his sweetheart southern drawl. He just oh, sounds that did... so pathetic and sad oh, all the time. Oh, this heat's going to kill me. Yeah. Oh, Sally, Sally, please talk to me. We should go now, Sally. Sally, let's go to town, Sally. Uh, why do you want the lot, Sally? So Franklin was my personal favorite of these protagonists i guess we should call them in a, in the sense that he has the most character out of all these people yeah i'll agree to that then there is kirk who had was he the one with the afro or no uh i don't I think, know i think the, those two, okay. two yeah, yeah those two were those two were replaceable for me it was like either or didn't really matter yeah kirk and jerry are the two other guys that are on this this trip across texas i mm-hmm. only wanted to point this out because one of them plays the dad in Richie Rich in the 90s. Mm, I think really. it's Jerry. I think it's the one with the afro. Yeah, that's, that looks about right. He looked like a guy that would have been a complete square had he not been wearing an afro in the 60s getup. He's in there with his buddy Kirk. Nothing really to say about Kirk whatsoever. Yeah. And then finally we have Pam, who is a sweet little tart, I think. You said you didn't like her already, which you lose the podcast for that. She was very good looking and she had a little character. She was very interested in zodiac signs and astrology. They were the, both the girls were like average looking, but yeah, they looked like set like seventies hot, maybe I guess. Yeah, uh, there there were three <laughs> other guys that we should mention. I guess I don't didn't write down their actors' names, but there's Leatherface, the villain, Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen, okay. We should mention that Leatherface is played by none other than Latimer from the program movie that we did in the newer version. Oh, okay. I was going to say, not in this one, dude. No, not in this one. Oh, I thought I had the podcast wrapped up right there. I thought I had a whim. Shit. No, he does it in the Jessica Biel movie. Okay, yeah. That is true. There's a gas station attendant who's kind of cool, and there's a hitchhiker who looks like a maniacal, cracked-out John Leguizamo. Interesting, but very strange. Yeah, maybe over the top, but these people got into their roles, and I'll give them that. None of them turned yeah. out to be great actors, but they gave it a hell of a shot. Oh, I'll agree to that. They, they gave it the old collegiate effort, but they were definitely lacking in the skills, but not, not, the, not the heart. No, they gave it their all, so I'll give them that. And this movie does have some heart. We should also point out this movie was directed by Toby or Tobe Hooper. I think it's Toby, but I don't want to say for sure. T-O-B-E. So, yeah, I don't know. Tobe Hooper? Yeah, he's a famous director. Tobe. He directed the Collector series, which stars our old friend Josh Stewart. Oh, cool. Yep. And I just accidentally said Tobe like I was the Joker, and I say, Murray. Murray. Where did that come from? I thought in my head, and then I was like, oh, yeah, the Joker. 
Yep, the Joker left its mark. Oh, Toby Hooper actually directed the remakes as well, it looks like. Or he was a producer on those. Interesting. And he did the sequels as well. So, yeah, Toby Hooper, he's the man. So he he's the man, or he's the only one interested in doing this movie? Well, he directed Tales from the Crypt, too. So he's a horror legend. Uh, right? Okay, that, that yeah, that puts him in, in that. I would I used to like Tales of the Crypt when I was a kid, so that's that's cool. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And Matthew McConaughey is in the sequel to this as well. Just wanted to point that out. Oh. All right. I'm really trying to get something out of the cast list, but there's nothing else. That's the cast. That's, that's it. Let's go. Yeah, let's get on through this thing. So that's the cast. Those are the players. And here we go. What is it? A, a, a Volkswagen van that they're riding down in? No, because the Volkswagen's a little bit more like their van was like very distinct. Is I that not say the most seventies thing ever to take a road trip in a van? Yeah, it's pretty seventies. That'd be cool though. I'd, I'd be down. Uh, I would totally be down. That's that's the thing about this movie. I could see myself in these situations. You could see yourself <laughs> taking a trip with your buddies, getting lost could... in the woods, or in this case, the desert. <laughs> you could see yourself getting attacked. By a chainsaw wielding psychopath? Yeah, I mean, I've got some imagination. I can see that happening. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Remind me not to take any van trips with you anytime soon. You would love to be there for that kind of stuff. Stand by your van. <laughs> That's right. So this movie starts with an opening scroll describing what you're about to witness. And the narrator says, or the screen says, five young kids met a horrible fate in this trek through Texas and they could have never seen it coming. Whatever. Not that great, but they just kind of, it sets you up for what you're about to see. This movie's not for all the Einsteins out there. If you want to watch this movie with your girlfriend or, you know, an older friend, not kids, but someone older, you can have a good time with this movie, but you're not going to write your college thesis about this. Yeah. It's not a think piece. That's for sure. Uh, but it does offer uh, some fun in the genre that it has chosen, which is, you know, horror film. So pretty creepy, interesting stuff going on throughout this film. Yeah. And they try to set a theme right here in the beginning with an opening montage. And there's again, there's a newscaster reading over this montage. Seems like we're, we've been getting out a lot lately. That's just reinforcing what we uh, went through in uh, Natural Born Killers a week ago. Yeah, we're just getting sucked up by the news all the time and yeah. it, it really does feed into the argument because all this news is about suicides fires and they're, they're drilling fires you know, just more also, bad news yeah also uh there's they're zooming in on two corpses right yeah there's and a few skeletons yeah. that have and one of the news clips is that graves all around this area in texas have been robbed recently a string yeah. of grave robberies yeah, and then they zoom out, and there's two corpses sitting on a tombstone. But are the tombstones like up the corpse's butt? Because <laughs> that's know. what it, that's what it looked like. It looked like they were impaled on these on these uh, tombstones. Well, I think they probably had some stable stabilizing thing back there. I don't even think corpses have butts. Well, at one point they did. Uh, your uh, butt yeah. leaves your body with your spirit, man. Everyone knows that. <laughs> That's the deepest thing you've ever said. <laughs> uh, 
I believe now. Okay, I'm a believer. You're floating above your body, and you look to your left, and there's your butt. Just sit. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, what's hey, up, my butt. I loved my butt back in life. Oh, so good that you're coming with me. But, yeah, they, they show a bunch of skulls, death, horrible things. So that's the tone they want to set for this movie is ominous, foreboding, and, and death that's ever-present out here in the desert. So now we get an introduction to our protagonist. We mentioned them all in the cast, Sally, Jerry, Kirk, Franklin, and Pam. What a horrible... I, I never liked the name Pam. No. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Just go with Pamela, you know? Pamela sounds better than Pam, I think. It's sexier, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, when you think of Pamela Anderson, maybe. Yeah, that's the Pamela that comes to mind. Yeah, me too. Marron. Marron. Oh, yeah. So we get an intro to the protagonist. They all have minor, tiny quirks that really don't matter too much because they're basically fodder. You know what you're getting into with a movie like this. There's a group of teens, and not all of them are going to make it. They do emphasize Franklin, I think, the most, and he's the one that's the brother of Sally. He's the fifth wheel in this situation because the other two are couples, and he's just kind of there... The poor guy, he's got no girlfriend, he's in a wheelchair. And then he's this... You said the fifth wheel. <laughs> I really didn't I, mean to. I know, I know, that's why it was so funny. Okay. okay. But the poor guy pulls over and he has to take a piss on the side of the road. And in this opening scene, he falls. He falls out of his wheelchair when a truck drives by and rolls down the hill. <laughs> Why does that even happen? Like, I have no idea. Like he's pissing, he's pissing in this can, right? Like against uh, on the next on the edge of the hill, and a truck drives by and just honks its horn, and like everybody flips out like it's trying to murder them, and then How he do you lose your balance if you're in a yeah. wheelchair. His brake on his wheelchair fails. It's just, it's such a scary horn. <laughs> like, and he falls headfirst down this hill. Just ragdolls down this hill. Oh yeah, just a complete ragdoll. And he he lays out all dramatic of it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was to me. I was like, oh great, what a start we've got here. That was hilarious. I just laughed when I saw that. Not because it had nothing to do with him being in the wheelchair, but why was the scene there? There's literally no reason. I guess it's mm-hmm. that character building is Franklin needs help and he's just got bad luck, man. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So the reason they're on this road trip, they get back into their car. It's it's all fine. You never hear anything about Franklin pissing on himself or whatever yeah, after that's, this. That's the peak of that scene. <laughs> yeah. But the reason they're there is they're on route to check out the grave of Sally's grandpa. Because they've heard from the news that someone is robbing the graves in this area and he's buried out here. So they want to make sure that his grave is undisturbed. They find out that it's fine. So that's not a problem. But then on the way back home, they pass their grandpa's old slaughterhouse. And they start mm-hmm. telling stories here. Franklin is very sadistic. He, he tells tales about how they kill all the cows and how fascinating it is that they murder these cows in these slaughterhouses. But I'm sensing a very animal rights undertone to this whole thing. Really the whole movie. 
uh, animal rights? Yeah. The whole thing is there's a symmetry between murdering these cows in the slaughterhouse and how quickly and efficiently these cows could be murdered. And the family is clung to that as a form of lifestyle that we'll see later on. They're murdering these humans as if they're cattle and they're all about efficiency. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, eh, I don't know about animal rights. How well, much it goes. Like, I see the, in there, she doesn't eat animals. Pam. I, I see the comparison. I don't know how that relates to animal rights. Well, it was back in the beginning days where this thing might have mattered. You know, politics and movies might have mattered for people. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that they even allude to it a little bit, I think, is maybe Possibly. they're going for something. That was a big thing around that time, I guess, so possibly. Yeah, they're hippies, and she says she doesn't eat meat, so they definitely dwell on it a bit. Yeah. But I won't dwell on it anymore for now. Just let's say that they passed the slaughterhouse, and Franklin kind of shows a a bit of a sadistic side when describing the slaughter. But on the whole, the group is pretty... What's the word I'm looking for here? Not generous, but compassionate? Yeah, towards... uh, Wait, towards... What's towards this hitchhiker that they're about to pick up. Oh, okay. Towards the hitchhiker. I thought you meant towards Franklin. Yeah, they're 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 compassionate towards. Uh, I was gonna say they're very helpful to Franklin. They get you know stuff out. Like they, they seem to be caring for him a, a little bit. But uh, they do care for Franklin. Though they also seem annoyed by Franklin being there. Yeah. The the more it goes on, and to be honest, he is a bit of a drain. Oh my, he's a drab. He's a drab presence. You know. Yeah, he's he's a drag. They're at some points they're literally dragging him through things. Yeah, but he's not the one they're compassionate towards that I was alluding to. Oh, it's okay. instead the hitchhiker, and that is a very <laughs> interesting character that we will get into now, or that we should. <laughs> but that, but that was a very. <laughs> but what? That, that, I was trying to I get thought, to a break. I was trying to. I, okay. I thought. I thought maybe you were setting up for a break there. I was like, "Oh, good job," or trying. not, or is he not going? And I was like, also in my head thinking, this is probably not going to be the break point of the <laughs> actual. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm gonna have to fix that. All right, let me, let me try <laughs> that one more time. So here they pick up the hitchhiker. <laughs> I still don't know what to go with. <laughs> Much better. I Much better. <laughs> I still want to take a break. I just don't know how to get to it. No, you that one. That one nailed it. I think. Or unless you want to do a take three, because I think two really hit it. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's take a break, and when we get back, we'll talk about the hitchhiker. <laughs> Poor Franklin. We're going to have to tiptoe around. I mean, we can't just make fun of the poor crippled guy the whole fucking time. Oh, no. Tiptoe around him. <laughs> All right. So, The Hitcher. Can we call him The Hitcher? That's a movie in itself. Should we just call him The Hitchhiker? Yeah, The Hitchhiker is his character name. So, right. yeah, he never gets that. a real name. Let's. Just yeah. the hitchhiker. But he is weird. Oh, he's weird. I love this guy. I didn't love the acting performance, but as a character, and I, I don't know, he's I, very unhinged. I kind of did like his acting performance in a, in, a, in a punk rock sense. Like, it was raw. 
it wasn't good. It was like genuine for for something about it seemed. I don't genuine's even know a good what... word, actually, and that's I think what makes this movie scary for some people is it's all nothing is so over the top that it makes you lose your belief in what you're seeing. And that's the great thing about old scary movies. They mix up so much CGI and everything nowadays that nothing is scary really. Yeah. And that's not the case here. And out of this world stuff, superhuman, superhuman type things like going on, nothing of that is happening in the movie, which you're right. It lends to the realism of all like this could happen. It's, it could be something that happens, but it, like I was telling you earlier before, it almost to me strikes me as the first season of True Detective, like it's like a, a 70s movie of that, like a cheaper version of that almost. What a great series that True Detective is, especially that first season, man. That's incredible. Yeah, the first one's really good. I think the second one's good too, but the first one's the best by far. I actually like the second one too, but a lot of people hated that one. Well, I think it just it was – because they, they were trying to, people were trying to hold it up to the first one, and it was like, no, it's not that good, but it's still entertain, it's still good, it's still watchable. Yeah, we got. Well, that's a whole. I would like to review that movie, that series somehow. Yeah, because I wanted to be. praise Woody right there, but I'm not. That's that's way off track. Yeah, well, I'd like to praise McConaughey. Well, I think he gets enough praise. I think Woody's underrated. Yeah, yeah. So we got Neil versus Bob, and now Woody versus McConaughey. Now, I kind of think Woody's uh, a little bit overrated, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it's the Reggie Miller of acting, man. Yeah, you keep saying that, but I don't still really know what it means. <laughs> he's he's a Hall of Famer, man, without ever being the best. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, he never won the big one. He never was the best, but he's just, he's so steady that he's in the Hall of Fame. Low and steady wins the race, I guess. Yeah. Slow, Slow and mediocre wins the race. Well, speaking of steady, we have a very unsteady character here, and the hitchhiker. If you make another, if you make another Franklin joke, I can't. <laughs> not, no Franklin here, but Franklin uh, is the only one willing to talk to this hitchhiker. Everyone else just kind of sits and stares at him. Franklin's yeah. very interested in what the hitchhiker has to say, at least at first. But why would they ever pick this dude up? He's covered in blood already. Well, he's not covered in blood. He has like a birthmark, a weird birthmark. Oh, is it? I always thought that was blood. Yeah, you would not pick up somebody with blood all over their face. I didn't think so. That's why it didn't make sense. But as a birthmark, then that does make sense. Yeah, it's like a very strange birthmark that runs down straight down the center of his face. But more concerning is just the way he's acting because he's like, yeah, I I, I used to work there. I used to work at the slaughterhouse and uh, uh, I, I killed things there. <laughs> He and Franklin are bonding because Franklin was imagining how great it would be to work in the slaughterhouse and shoot all the cows in the head with the gun that they use. But he says, no, nah, man, we, I used to like to do it with the, the mallet. It's much better with the mallet. Old fashioned. That's when you really know who the real killers are. And so they debate the merits of how to kill these cows. But then the hitchhiker takes it too far because Franklin has this little pocket knife that he's always playing with this, the Swiss army knife. The hitchhiker grabs the pocket knife from Franklin, cuts his own palm while staring maniacally at Franklin, and then he pulls some gunpowder and a picture. Oh, no, hold on. I'm skipping a little bit. Wait, yeah, yeah. 
he he pulls a gigantic camera out of nowhere. Where the hell did he get this camera? Yeah, he had it. I guess just uh, was taking pictures at the slaughterhouse. I don't know. He just pulls this huge camera out of his ass, takes Franklin's picture, and Franklin says something genius like, "Hey, you just took my picture." Yeah, <laughs> classic <laughs> Franklin, classic Franklin line. So yes, so he. So yeah, like he takes the knife and is like, "It's a good, good, good knife. Cuts, cuts good too." And he's he almost reminds me of Butters from South Park, the way he speaks. He's like, "Good, good knife. Cuts, good, good, good." Like the way he speaks is just. I'm like, why? I don't know why you did this, but it's inner. It's inner. It's intriguing to me. So I, I, I liked it. Yeah, it's a bit creepy. I don't understand why why it was chosen, but. Well, he, he takes Franklin's picture, and then once the picture develops, he pulls out some gunpowder, sets it on the picture of Franklin, and then lights it on fire. So while this ruckus is going on in the van, because now there's a fire in the van, he grabs a knife of his own, a switchblade that he had hidden, pulls it out, and it looks to me, they did such a good job with the effects, it looks like he damn near cuts Franklin's hand all the way off. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Like, he just cuts down his, like, forearm and wrist, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not that bad. The aftermath of it, it seems like he's okay, but at the time of watching it, it's like, damn, he just cut Franklin's ass deep, you know? Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. He just cuts him. Well, they're, he, he, they, they wouldn't pay him for his picture. Oh, He yeah. said, it's, yeah, a good, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good picture. You give me $2. What? Uh, yeah, it's a good picture. Give me two dollars. They're like, no, here's your picture back, man. And then he gets all pissed off and and cuts him. And then yeah, yeah. I actually laughed when he demanded the two dollars because it's like, no one asked for you to take this picture, man, and now you want two dollars. Like, no, come on. Yeah, we're giving you a ride. Don't try to make money off of us. Yeah, come on, buddy. Like, uh, good play, good play, but no. Yeah. So they kick him out of the van. He runs alongside the van for a minute, and he uses the blood on his hands to make some markings on their van. Not really sure why at the moment, but we'll find out later why. But he also blows some raspberries at them after they kick him out. So when I say blow raspberries, that's like... Yeah, yeah, which is thematic throughout this film, because later Franklin blows... (laughs) Which is, to me, just the most infantile thing one can do. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's up there. So they're free from the hitchhiker now, and they're back on the road. Franklin says one of my favorite lines here, so I'm going to skip that for later. But the dumbass Pam is just back to chill, like like nothing ever happened. Like they didn't just pick up a total psycho that tried to murder Franklin. She's back to talking about zodiac signs, astrology, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. veganism. Just- She's like, well, anyways, Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. Uh Uh-oh. So here's a little thing that I noticed that maybe was an error or maybe it didn't make sense to me, but it was pretty funny when I thought about it. They go to a gas station and they ask the attendant about a place they want to visit called the Old Franklin House. That's what they say, the Old Franklin House, which Franklin's Mm -hmm. father owns. He also says yeah. that. So if it's the old Franklin house and it's owned by Franklin's father, 
Does that why is Frank? Does, why is Franklin his, his first name? Franklin, Franklin. Frank. Is his name Franklin? <laughs> Franklin. <laughs> the old Franklin house. Hey, you must be Franklin Franklin of the Franklins. <laughs> You're the son of Franklin Franklin. You're Franklin Franklin squared. Yeah, I go by Frankie now, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense unless, of course, you know, all the all the family was named after their first names. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. No. Not a big deal, though. What is kind of a big deal, though, is the girls are looking pretty, pretty good here, right? Well, the gas station. I mean, yeah, they're looking all right. I the mean, camera not... goes out of the way to do some upskirt shots. I mean, you're seeing their butts there. They're not wearing bras for the most part. They got the you got the one blonde, the one brunette. It's a very classic '70s scenario where you're supposed to be immensely attracted to these girls. Yeah, it's like, oh, look at these free loving ladies out there being wild, wearing no bras, and they're obviously sexually promiscuous. And these guys are about to have the time of their life. Yeah, I, I was digging the girls, both of them really, but especially Pam, the brunette. I, I liked her. Yeah, I was not blown away, but but. Uh... Yeah, they were alright. <laughs> they didn't knock you off your feet, huh? Not at all. They might have <laughs> knocked, might have knocked Franklin off his feet, but not me. <laughs> maybe someone, maybe someone did. Yeah, but there is no gas at this gas station, and the attendant yeah. says uh, we gotta get our gas delivered here, and it's not gonna be until the next day. Mm-hmm. So they decide that they can trek it up to the Franklin house, do a little exploring. They can eat here at the gas station because this gas station is famous for their barbecue, as the sign says on the outside. Oh, yeah, which was like it says, what does it say, We Slaughter Barbecue? Yeah, they they get their own meat and they make their own barbecue there. And if you're traveling down the road in Texas and you get to a gas station where they do their own barbecue like this one, would you eat it or not? Yeah, I love I love barbecue. I'd be super interested in trying Texas barbecue. So, yeah, Me too. So they do get some barbecue, and it's here that they notice the blood on the van from the hitcher, and Franklin in particular kind of stares at it for a minute, so it means something. Mm-hmm. I think Franklin even says, it looks like he tried to write something. Yeah, yeah, it does. I never figured it out, though, so I hope you did. I did, cause... and he's not the only person that noticed it at the gas station. The gas station okay, attendant so... noticed it as well. All right, so the gas station attendant. That makes sense because, yeah, okay. So at, at the Franklin house, Franklin himself munches on the barbecue very strenuously. I mean, he's chewing the hell out of this barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please tell me about Franklin eating the barbecue, man. I don't even remember it. Like, what? what, what yeah, he's, he's chewing it really hard. Yeah, well, the the camera focuses on this, and it means something, you know. Why why are they focusing on Franklin eating? Yeah, the he's having a he's having a rough time chewing through his barbecue. So maybe that Texas barbecue that he got, you know, was just a little tougher than uh, he was used to. Yeah, maybe the meat wasn't quite what he thought, but he does seem to enjoy it. You're trying to spoil it. I get what you're doing. Okay, just stop right. trying to spoil. Stop trying to spoil the ending. All right, I'm not spoiling anything. You're trying to get me to spoil it. So then you can claim a win for the podcast. I see what's going on here. Well, I will spoil the fact that here is the scene that I referred to you that, that we laughed about and laughed about forever when we watched this movie as, as children. And that is the 
the two couples go into the Franklin house and they're exploring and going up the stairs and looking around. But poor Franklin can't manage to get up into the house in his wheelchair. So when he does get up to the top step, he, he goes on this tirade. He completely melts down and he says, oh, come along, Franklin. It'll be a great time, Franklin. You'll enjoy it. And he looks up at the ceiling and blows like 100 raspberries in a row up at, up at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Franklin. It'll be fun, Franklin. <laughs> but he's like going way overboard. And it's just like, it's a tantrum of like a five-year-old. But yeah. yeah, he was pissed off, man. He's had a rough day and he just wants his friends to be there with him. I get it. I feel for Franklin in this scene too, because it's like, they're deaf. They're, they're like, first of all, they're upstairs. You know, that's something he can't do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, they're hanging out up there, laughing, having a good time, playing grab ass. Obviously, the couples are going to hook up with each other. He's sensing that, you know, so he's not going to get laid. <clears throat> so, yeah, there are places he can't go, doing things he can't do, and, and it's really affecting poor Franklin. Yeah, it sucks. So Kirk and Pam go looking for a swimming hole that Franklin had mentioned that he he knew about at his father's old house or his grandfather's old house or whatever. However, they're tied to this. Franklin knew about a swimming hole. He leads them or points them to the direction they need to go. And Kirk and Pam go looking for this swimming hole. You think they're going to swim or are they just going down there to bang? Yeah, they're going down to bang, man. That's that's like this is a segue into a beautiful 70s porn, which actually these girls kind of look like the quality of 70s porn actresses. And that's one attractive part of them. That's really all I found attractive. Says they look it looks like it's really about to spiral into some 70s porn stuff. But they're like, let's go down to the water hole. How's how do you get there? Oh, there's a path down there between them two old sheds. And uh, they go down through the old sheds, and I don't see any watering hole anywhere. It's no. like not, not near. And then they see another house, right? Yeah. Franklin doesn't know what the hell he's talking about because there is no water, no pond, nothing. He does find a snake's corpse arranged on the steps of the Franklin house that they somehow missed when they walked in. So yeah. Franklin sees an ominous sign there, and he pathetically calls for his sister Sally. But yeah, Kirk and Pam, instead of finding a swimming hole, find a house off in the distance. For her credit here, Pam says, listen, we don't want to go there. Let's just leave them be. But Kirk hears a generator running at the house. He deduces that they have gas. Everyone knows that they need gas. So his idea is to go up and knock on the door and exchange his guitar for for gas. Yeah, like he's going to trade him his guitar for gas. Not a very dedicated musician. It was a it was a pawn. He was he was loaning it. He was going to come back and get his guitar. It was just as collateral. Oh, okay, all right. Well, that makes sense. But still, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, and he probably wasn't a dedicated musician either. Probably just trying nah. to look cool for the girls, you know. Just play. He just played like three or four covers to get laid. So they walk up to the front door, and this tooth. It looks like a human tooth seemingly falls out of the sky and lands on the ground. Did you see that? Yeah, it's very strange. Why would it just fall out of the sky like that? Where did it come from? Why is it here? What does it mean? Yeah, so it it falls. They show it fall. Kirk picks it up, and instead of saying the questions that we just said, he instead (laughs) gives it to Pam. Instead of, 
properly analyzing it and thinking, oh, this is disgusting. A human tooth just fell out of the sky and landed next to me. And why is this here? He goes, here, check this out. I got something for you and uses it to scare the girl. Yeah, she runs away from it. I will say I have a strange fascination with human teeth. Yeah? Yeah, when I lose a tooth or one of the kids loses a tooth or a tooth of mine breaks, like have you ever had a tooth break and just a chunk of the tooth is like now in your hand that used to be in your head? No. <laughs> oh, well, I have a hard but... <laughs> time giving those up, man. I hate just throwing it in the trash or whatever people do with them. I, why, are I you, actually... why, why are your teeth just breaking off, man? Oh, I've got bad teeth, man. They're always breaking all the time. My mouth yeah. is almost all fake now at this point. You did like a lot of candy when we were kids. Yeah, I still like the candy. Yeah, but the point of what I, I'm saying here is I like the teeth. So oh yeah. why would he just <laughs> give up the tooth so so easily, you know? Don't yes. give it to your girlfriend. Keep it. Save that tooth. You never know when you're going to need a good tooth. Yeah, and that's not a broken tooth. That's a tooth that's been extracted because the root yeah. is fully intact. That's what I was going to say. Is like It's not just a tooth. It's the full like. <clears throat> full thing it's like yeah the root and all yeah but the the device of the tooth is to scare pam away from the front door and so now she no longer wants to go into the house and poor kirk has to go into this house by himself wait are you saying that you think the tooth was intentionally thrown there to to get her away and him in? no no by the director not by any any character in the movie okay a a device to separate the characters and somehow they said why don't, why don't we just make this tooth fall out of the sky? Now that we mentioned it, I'm not so sure, though. I'm kind of having, you know, kind of thinking maybe who, who was up there. Maybe somebody threw that tooth down. The guy, it came from somewhere, didn't it? It did. Maybe maybe someone threw it down as a strange, very strange distraction. Yep. And it worked perfectly because now the pair is separated. Pam is hanging out in the yard. And Kirk, is it ever okay to just walk right into a stranger's house? No, not in not nowadays, and maybe in 1974, but still no, probably. No, I don't think so either. But this hallway, the door, the front steps, all of this is iconic within the the community of people that like horror movies and like this. This is a shot that people remember. It's the front door and leading to stairs that go upstairs, but particularly there's a door behind these stairs with a light glowing from it. And that's what Kirk is drawn to. He slowly walks through the hallway at first, but then when he gets near this open door that I just referred to, for some reason, he strangely sprints a few steps and then trips and loses his balance. What the hell is he sprinting for? Yeah, that's a great question. What the hell is he sprinting for? No idea. (laughs) Well, and that's that's my... My biggest issue with this movie is moments like these. Just the whole movie's chock full of these. Like the 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 horn at the beginning that co- forced poor um, uh, Franklin over the hill, and just the random guy in the car pulling out the knife and cutting himself and stuff. And like it's just chock full of these moments of like, what the fuck is happening? Why? Why would somebody do that? I don't know. The tooth. Where did it come from? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, some some things don't make perfect sense, or maybe we're just not seeing them. But what happens with Kirk here is he he loses his balance, he trips as he's running, and simultaneously we get an introduction to the main antagonist of the movie, and that is serial killer Leatherface. 
we don't know him as that. We don't, we don't know his, I don't know if we ever actually get his name. I think that came post-production of the movie. Probably, yeah, because it's not, it's not mentioned in the movie, I don't think. But he is a man dressed mostly as a butcher, and his defining physical characteristic, besides his huge bulk, he's a very bulky guy. Big guy, yeah, real big guy. But he's wearing a mask of what looks like another human. And we'll, we'll find out later exactly what the mask is, but he's wearing a mask, he's wearing a butcher's apron, and he's wielding a mallet, which he uses to crush Kirk's head in. Well, yeah, it's really cool because he hits him, and then Kirk falls to the ground, and then he starts convulsing like an animal that has just been hit with the mallet. So he starts he starts convulsing like an animal, and then he pounds it and finishes the job and just smashes his head into smithereens. Yep. So Kirk, we hardly knew you, buddy. R.I.P. Kirk, not a very dedicated musician. Did not get laid in the swimming hole and likes to give away teeth that he finds. Congratulations, Kirk. You are the first to die in this film. Yep. Quite a headstone for Mr. Kirk. Yeah. Not quite the captain. No. <laughs> no, he's Kirk, but he is no captain. So now Pam decides to enter the house. How long would you have to be dating someone to go into a house where you thought something bad happened to them? Uh, <laughs> wow, that's that's like a, a question of character, I think. Hmm. Shit. I think you're supposed to go in quickly, but I yeah. don't think I would. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have left him alone in the first place. Probably should have gone in when yeah. you went in. Yeah, should have gone in with him. But now I think I would have called his name probably a bunch of times and then crept in. And yeah. as soon as he didn't – because he couldn't have been that far in the house. So as soon as he's not answering, I'm going to immediately suspect something is up. And I'm going to get real suspicious and start, like, creeping around corners and peeking through stuff, you know. Yeah, and she does kind of do that. She goes inside, but very quickly, she finds probably the one room that she shouldn't have found, and it's full of bones. She stumbles on these bones, and it takes her a minute before she realizes that most of these bones are human bones, but also yeah. there is ominously some chickens. <laughs> uh, the, old, uh, the old ominous chicken. And what are they saving that chicken for? And why is he suspended up in the air? That's what I want to know. Yeah, why is he suspended? Why does the camera keep zooming in on this chicken's eyeball and face? What's obviously, so scary about chickens? Obviously, you have enough meat. You don't need this chicken here. Yeah, it's a prolonged scene, Her it dawning on her what she's seeing here. Maybe that's more of the animal rights stuff you were talking about. Maybe that had to do something with that. Yeah, maybe she represented the chicken in the cage because she's fucked now and that happens immediately the culmination of her being fucked because <laughs> Leatherface now runs in behind her grabs her up carries her off into the meat room yeah well it's disgusting too though like this scene is like <clears throat> but and also I don't know logistically if this works well because he, she, you know, they have those hanging meat hooks, right? Yep. And, and where they hang up the cattle's, you know, but they, they, you have to, they're not sharp. They're just like to hang the meat. And he lifts her up and just sticks her on it. And 
I'm just like, would that puncture her skin? How's that holding her? Well, I, I think he would probably keep his hooks sharp because he's all about that butcher life, man. He, he probably sharpens his hooks. Yeah, that's a good point. He probably he, – he, he could do that. He might do that. Didn't look well, real sharp. I read Whatever. a couple – I read a couple reviews about this movie when from when it came out in the 70s and some of the critics were saying that this was the most grotesque thing that they had ever seen on film and I sure as hell hope they didn't live to see the 90s because this is about <laughs> as mild as it gets. Yeah, it's not visually grotesque but you do get to see her reactions to everything and she kind of does change up the way she's like screaming and doing and, and fighting whenever she gets put on the hook. Ugh, that that's, that's the worst, man. How bad would that hurt? It wouldn't kill you right away either. Yeah, it wouldn't feel great. I'll tell you that much. Ugh. And not only is she now hung on a meat hook and saved for later, but the corpse of Kirk, and he may not have even been dead yet, but he was near death, is sprawled on the table in front of her, and she has to watch as Leatherface dons his iconic chainsaw and starts just dismembering. Go, yeah. Just Kirk, going to, goes to town. Like a like a beautiful artist of the chainsaw. And just yep. carving him up. Yeah, he's got the meats. <laughs> dun 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 dun. <laughs> so now we'll, we'll go back to the van. And Jerry has decided that he needs to go look for Kirk and Pam because it's been several hours that they've been missing and the group wants to stay together. Someone has to stay with Franklin because he's in the wheelchair. So his sister, Sally stays with him and Jerry is now going to look for this non-existent lake or pond and instead going to stumble upon the same house. And it's always a good idea to go by yourself. Well, what option do they really have here though? Wheel Franklin's ass down there, okay? He's the one that's supposed to... Daylight? Yeah, he's the one that's supposed to know where the watering hole is anyways. Yeah, I guess they could have wheeled him down there, but they decide not to. Jerry goes by himself, and while he's going, the siblings, Franklin and Sally, have a little talk here. Franklin's still being a a little bitch about everything. I mean, he's just Uh, moaning and bitching about everything. here. He's the worst. Like, ugh, yeah. Throughout the throughout the entire film, it's just like he's whining and complaining and overanalyzing and in his head, just you know, maybe at the very beginning he's got this one a couple funny things he says, but for the most part, he's just like, dude, why did you guys bring this guy? The most annoying part about Franklin is it's one of my pet peeves. I hate when people say, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? You're already talking to me. All right. So <laughs> why even ask? Like, can I have a word with you for a second? You're having the word. Just yeah, say it's what too you late. Say. Don't waste my time. When you started that sentence, it's too late for me to say no. Yeah. And so he says it over and over to Sally. Sally, can I ask you something? Yeah, like I wanted Sally to just be like, no, I'd rather you didn't. So now we'll go back to Jerry, who enters the house again. He doesn't really even knock or anything. He just kind of walks right in. He may- maybe knocks for a second, but he walks right in, too. Yeah. He goes into the meat room. He finds, well, first he hears rattling from the freezer, and it's a tension-building moment. This is a great moment if you're a fan of scary things, horror movies. 
many times later in, in future movies, they'll pay tribute to a scene like this, but it's the sound from the freezer. You know, he's slowly creeping toward the freezer, and when he opens it up, he finds Pam stuffed inside of there and still alive. Leatherface yeah. has pops out from behind a corner with his mallet. He mallets Jerry in the head once again. He's a dead shot with this mallet, man. And in general, I one of the things I enjoy about this movie is that it, it doesn't he doesn't waste time with setting up how the person's going to kill him. He just kind of jumps out. He's like, oh, yeah, the person's in the next room. Well, guess what? He hears you coming, then he pops around the corner and kills you. Yeah, and I also love the, the noises that Leatherface makes. So he's a mute. He never says a full sentence or anything in, in the movie at all, in any of the movies. But in this one, he just makes this moaning sound. Where he's like, <laughs> and it's yeah. almost, he sounds frightened of the people that he's killing. Almost as if he's afraid of them. Yeah, well, maybe he is. Maybe that's in his brain. He's it's a self defense thing. They did break into his house. They did break into his house. That's a good <laughs> maybe he's afraid of them. <laughs> maybe he's actually just a butcher, and he's like, "Why is everyone attacking me? Why are they breaking into my house one after another?" Well, I think well, you're well, actually close to the truth there because we do find out later on what he is afraid of. I don't want to spoil it yet, but we'll find out that he is somewhat afraid. But here, after he kills Jerry, he goes and sits down on a chair in front of the window, and they give you a nice, long, clear look at the costume. And I never put this together before, but he's got the tattered, short-sleeved white T-shirt with the necktie loosely tied around it. He's got Mick Foley's Mankind costume on right now. To be fair, Mick Foley has his costume on whenever he's wrestling. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mankind, yeah. the character, was clearly inspired was, by Leatherface. For sure, probably, yeah. How did I never put this together? I've been a wrestling fan for 20 years. Yeah, I I don't... I mean, it makes sense now that you mention it, but also it's loosely inspired, so I don't think it's exactly the same. It's just a little bit different. Yeah, that's pretty close there yeah. it's good but we also get a nice clear look at the skin mask and for 70s costume and makeup this is impressively scary for me i'm i'm suitable it's suitable for me i think it's good yeah I, I wasn't too blown away by that but more like the mouth his mouth they make his teeth really nasty and uh <clears throat> he just looks looks a little freaky yeah and when you consider when this all came out very innovative and inspirational for later versions of, of villains and, and monsters. For sure. I think that's one of the big things you have to consider when you're watching this is uh, the groundbreaking nature of the film. Yeah, it's going to raise the score some. It's like you don't want to rate something poorly when it, it inspired so many other versions of maybe better exactly. versions of it. Exactly. So now we'll go back to our remaining two protagonists. We started with five. We're down to two now. And it's Franklin and Sally, the brother and sister. They're still waiting by the van, waiting for their friends to come back. It's now nightfall. They're helplessly calling out their names as if that's going to help. I mean, what's that going to do? If they were anywhere nearby, you would have already known it. You can't just call for people while not moving. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess what else can you do, though? 
Franklin here is such a southern sweetheart, annoying fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, oh, Sally, we should go back. Oh, Sally, I think we should go. Oh, Sally. Sally, I really think we should. We should leave now, Sally. We should go to the gas station, Sally. Sally, please. I mean, come to come to find out, that wouldn't have been any better. Not to spoil anything, but yeah, he's like uh, he's just become this complete. He's like the the mother of the crew. I don't know what I have to say. Like he's just like oh, oh uh, yeah, just uh, just a little bitch the whole time. Yeah, he's like the mother and the infant, and it has yeah. nothing to do with the wheelchair. He's just such a little whiny baby all the time. Yeah, but they start panicking the two of them because. I mean, honestly, in this situation, there are no right moves. You can't go to the gas station and get help with no gas and then, you know, leave your friends there with no van. You can't really go looking for them with Franklin in the wheelchair. It is nighttime. Obviously, something bad has happened to them for them to not be back. So if you put yourself in the shoes of Franklin and Sally here, there really isn't much you can do about your situation. That's true. They're panicking and fighting with each other, arguing. Franklin starts honking the horn and drawing attention to them, which maybe was the best idea if you think your friends were lost. I just had to re-remind re- re- myself that they don't know there's a killer afoot. Yeah, they don't know that there's a killer just yet. They, there's a possibility their friends could be lost. But with Jerry disappearing, too, it's increasingly unlikely. Yeah, I'd be getting worried at this point. I would, too. So eventually their decision is to just go into the woods and look for their friends. And that means Sally has to wheel poor Franklin while they hold the flashlight, or Franklin holds the flashlight. So very low visibility, and it's not a path that's suitable for a wheelchair. Yeah. So now they go into the woods. Franklin hears something, and they're building a lot of tension here because as the audience, we know what's waiting for them. And it's the absolute worst thing, and that is... Leatherface jumps out from behind some bushes and immediately just starts chopping up Franklin with oh, the, yeah. with, the uh, with the chainsaw. How absolutely horrifying would this be if you're Sally? Well, yeah, that'd be horrifying for that for for her, like to just see that out of nowhere all of a sudden start happening. But to me, the the strange thing was like we were building this rapport with Franklin. I thought he was going to be maybe the character that lived. Not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. He, he's he got zero chance in hell of escaping this guy now that he's just out in the middle of, like, bad wheeling area. And, yeah, the guy just jumps out and just starts carving him up pretty quickly. I wanted to point out here that it's a very poor strategy by Leatherface. Obviously, you kill the person that can run before you kill the one in the wheelchair, right? You should do that, yes. If your goal is to kill all of these kids, you kill the one that can run away, and then you take care of Franklin. Because Franklin can't yeah, do anything. He can't Franklin ain't going, he ain't going nowhere, yeah. But he wastes a bunch of time chopping up Franklin into a million pieces. Franklin screams horribly. Sally screams horribly. And now we have a chase scene through the woods as Leatherface chases Sally. <laughs> what did you think about <laughs> Sally's facial expressions for one and then her running style yeah first of all the thing i noticed was like how perfectly adept he he was for this chase uh leatherface because 
he's got a, a chainsaw and they're running through all this thick brush and he's like chopping through the brush to get to her. And I'm like, Oh, what a useful tool for this guy to have. But yeah, like she was running and screaming and, ah, ah, and it's pretty much the entire rest of the movie is just her screaming uh, for the most part, like not uh, in, in, a, in a nutshell, yeah. in a nutshell. But, uh, but the chase was exciting to me because he was so close the whole time and he's not slow. He's a fast guy. Like he's, he's just a hair behind her the whole way. Yeah. It's very effective. And I love the way they use the camera angles here to not only build the tension, but they're showing you just how close he is. So they would set, it looked like they maybe set a camera down and then she would run past it and they'd leave it there. And then maybe two seconds later, Leatherface would run past it. So you would have a, a visual way to determine exactly how far behind she was or he was yeah. to her. Yeah, he's right on her tail. And if, if she slips and falls, it's her ass, literally and figuratively, that's about to be strung up. Yeah. And when she's running, she does this windmill motion with her arms. No one in history has ever run like this, whether panicked or not. It's so cartoonish. It's like if I was in gym class and I wanted to make my friends laugh, I would run like this. She's swinging her arms like she's trying to fly yeah. off the ground or something. Yeah. That's like, uh, okay, Pam, that's her name, right? No, this one is Sally. Oh, the, Sally. The yes, hero Sally. of the movie. The hero of the movie, yes, Sally. So, Sally, I want you to do this take over again, but this time, do it like a human would do it. <laughs> I, I like the, the windmill thing because it was funny to me, but yeah, it's completely ridiculous. It just is not how humans run. It's but, not yeah. how humans run, no. But it was great, and and the facial expressions, again, ridiculous. But, man, is she trying hard to sell this terror? Yeah, kudos to her, too, because uh, she got a good workout with the pipes. After, from this scene on, it's just, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, Jesus, catch her and cut her fucking windpipe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've heard people argue yeah. to diminish an actress that would do a role like this. But as an actor yourself, how hard is it or is it even possible to to put yourself in this state of pure fear as an actor i mean how do you do that uh to keep it up for long periods of time is hard but it's you know it's acting is just pretending you just pretend like you're in that situation like you have a vivid imagination you just said earlier in the podcast like you just use your imagination and some people have you know different levels of of accessing those emotions quicker or more authentically i guess i would probably stay away from the actor that played leatherface off camera you know offset just as a way to maybe build an aura for him and be more afraid of him build some mystery around him i was not blown away by by the performance of it but the the effort was there and you know it was what it was, and I and like I said, I was entertained by it because of the chase. The uh, the chase scene was more about the directing for me that was that was good. But but yeah, it was uh, this was this was my favorite part because this had this had the most tension built into it. I think you know I'd never I had not seen the movie, or apparently I've seen the movie. I don't remember it though, but I did not see the. I did not know what was going to happen, so I didn't know she was going to make it out. And the the way they built the scene, you really have a, a question whether she's going to make it or not. Yep. And you're kind of you're kind of on the edge of your seat for this entire chase. She will eventually make it out of this situation, but not before she makes it into 
the house again because she ran the wrong way when she ran away from Franklin. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the house. She just runs right inside. She runs straight up to the attic because the whole time Leatherface is right on her tail. So she doesn't have time to slowly discover ominous chickens like uh, a friend did. (laughs) She runs right past the chicken. She runs right upstairs. And upstairs she finds two seemingly mummified humans. It looks like uh, they're mummies, right? Both of them? Yeah, that's what it looks like, yeah. And the one is older than the other, I will say. The one mummy looks kind of fresh, and then the other one is really decrepit. Is gone looking. Yeah, she freaks out about this. Leatherface gets to the room that she's in, so she has no option except to jump out of the third-story window. Not only jump out, but she does a belly flop. I had to give her a a round of applause for this one because I thought she was stuck. And she, the, the human will will prevail. She was like, nah, fuck it. I'm bailing out of this window. I don't care. Like, whatever happens at the bottom of this fall is better than what happens if I don't jump. So, yep. you know. And it, it kind of mirrors the scene from Hereditary. If you remember way back last year, at the end of the movie, when the poor teenage kid jumps out of the attic window to save himself, but he seemingly dies in his fall. But not Sally. She gets right up after this third story fall, shakes off some glass, and sprints off the other direction. So the one time yeah. it's like, man, get up, get up. When you're watching these horror movies, like get up and yeah. run. She does it. She gets up. And she does it. Runs. She gets and she gets away. We're like, all right, she got away. That was a good play. And not only does she run away, but she's right back to doing her windmill style running, maybe even more pronounced in this scene than before. She is just swinging her arms like she's flying a kite or something. I mean, she just looks yeah. ridiculous. Well, maybe that was what helped her in her fall from the second story window. <laughs> Flailing her wall. She, she was flying for a second there a bit, you know? Yeah, she was flapping her wings to, to break the fall. Yeah, so she, cushion the fall. She windmill runs through the woods, past the van, all the way back to the gas station where they originally got traveling advice. Yeah. Oh, there's a path down there between them two old sheds. Now that Sally has run all the way back to the gas station, she runs inside. She begs the attendant to help her. He says he doesn't have a phone, so he'll have to drive her into town. And during this scene, and during a couple other scenes as well, there's this old-timey music playing. I think the other time it's doing it is when they're in the van questioning the hitchhiker. I mm-hmm. love the subtle music. It's very quiet. Not a song anyone would recognize. But they could have gone with country music there, and instead they choose this kind of old-timey diner music. Yeah, I, I liked re- it. I didn't really notice much about the music throughout the film, so I yeah, I guess I really didn't notice it. Well, the ominous music that they play whenever they're walking up on the house or anything yeah yeah yeah. that's good that's an important part of of horror movies in general is yeah building the the music needs to give you a yeah a build yeah music is crucial in in horror movies to building suspense it's not meant to stick out it's meant to feed you know like say in uh in natural born killers the music at times takes over so the music becomes the focus and in this, it's like the music is really just feeding feeding what's going on, the action. 
And speaking of feeding, while the attendant goes to get the car, Sally wanders off into the back where they prepare the barbecue. And it's here that we realize it's not pigs or beef or lamb or pork up on these spits. Well, pork and pigs are the same thing. Yeah. But lamb and pork is not. No. And correction time, my wife did confirm you do not have to fully cook lamb. You can eat it nearly raw. You eat it pretty rare. Really? Yep, that's how you eat lamb. I got to double check that. We can't just take your wife's word on this. All right. Fair enough. I'm pretty sure that meat should still be cooked well. Definitely not well. Well, maybe not well, but medium. Well, they do cook the human meat pretty well that they're eating here because it's not pork, beef, or chicken. It is human that this gas station attendant is cooking up and serving to guests of the road. So Franklin, earlier, when he was munching on that barbecue and the camera was just all over his face, he was eating human meat, and he never even knew it. He died before the truth came out. Well, it's a good thing he died before he found that out, because that could be a really harrowing experience finding out that you just ate human. Yeah, his last meal was human meat. Imagine the autopsy, man, that they're going to have on poor Franklin. (laughs) Well, he got cut all up, but he did have human in his body, so... He cannibalized somebody before he died. What was Franklin into? What the hell? So she freaks out a little bit when she sees this. Sally does. The attendant comes back in. He realizes that she knows. She starts saying, what do you want? What are you doing? And she gets this butcher knife to defend herself. But the attendant is really not concerned with the butcher knife in the least. He picks up a stray broom and he can he proceeds to yeah. just beat the shit out of her with this broom. <laughs> yeah, that that was very strange where he's just like, that's going to be all right. And he's like hitting her with the broom and stuff like I. I I didn't understand what he was doing there, but it seemed to work. He's smacking her with the soft end of the broom, too. It's like he's just toying with her. It was very strange, and I was wondering why she was cowering to the broom, but okay. Yeah, he knocks the knife out of her hand. He uses the hard part of the handle to knock her unconscious, and he drags her off into the truck. So he's going to take her off somewhere and you know, do what he wants with her, have his way with her. So the gas station attendant, we find out now, was sinister the entire time. The sinister Mr. Gas Station attendant. Yep. And so he's driving her somewhere. We don't know where yet. But the whole time, he's antagonizing her in the car, saying things like, oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. We're going to take care of you. And he's, like, smacking her with the broom from time to time. And that's how you know it's not going to be okay, because... Everything he's saying is like, oh, maybe she'd be all right. But then the way he hits her with the broom and the faces he makes makes you realize that this guy is definitely not stable. As they're driving, they encounter the hitchhiker again. And this time the man stops the van or the truck and he gets out and starts yelling seemingly racial slurs at the hitchhiker. Well, it just adds to the strangeness of the whole thing. But yeah, yeah. it didn't really didn't make any sense. And yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. But he drags the hitchhiker into the car, and now you're starting to put the pieces together as the viewer because the dialogue here lends to the idea now that you're supposed to know the hitchhiker is the son of this gas station attendant. And not only that, but Leatherface is the hitchhiker's brother. So he's yeah. also the son of the gas station attendant. 
they're all working in cahoots and their family and uh <clears throat> coming from west virginia i've seen some messed up families but this one does take all the cake i think yeah it's a bad one and so now the puzzle pieces are in place the reason the hitchhiker marked the the protagonist's van is so that he would they would stop at the gas station the attendant would know what to do with them the ultimate goal here is to murder them use their bones as decoration in the house and use the meat as barbecue and i guess they've been doing this for quite some time because the father mentions to the hitchhiker you've been up there messing around with those graves again yeah so the father is the mastermind behind this entire plot of murder and i I guess it's a financial plot. Are they, they well, making yeah, he's, money from it? He's running he's run a family business here, you know, and who are we to say how he runs his own business? But uh, it uh, he's it, by day just uh, running the gas station and serving up meat. Obviously, he gets the meat on the cheap, so there is a good profit in that. But is that just that sinister, or is they're just trying to make a little extra money by killing people and serving them for, for barbecue? Surely they're not using corpse meat as the barbecues right well I mean, I human like, meat would go rotten still yeah yeah i feel like that would probably not taste that good so there's got to be a lot of other victims that were murdered just for the meat because they were all yeah. hanging up there in that gas station yeah they were they were cooking up all kinds of meat before they even got there yeah so th- this isn't the first rodeo for this family of murdering cannibals but they get to the house the father here, the attendant, yells at Leatherface. So now I guess we know what Leatherface was so afraid of. And it's letting someone escape. Because he says, you didn't let anyone escape, did you, you big dumb idiot? And Leatherface cowers in fear from his father. So despite being a huge hulking brute with a chainsaw and a human skin for face, he's still scared of his dad. Well, you know what I kind of originally thought was going to happen was it was going to turn out that maybe Franklin was the killer. Because they actually have similar body styles. A little bit, yeah, they do. Like, they have the same kind of hair, almost, and they have the same kind of build, but Franklin's in the wheelchair. And I was like, it would have been perfect had he set the whole thing up, but it didn't work out like that. No, no, there's no big mystery here. It's just an insane killer out there in the woods. The big the big twist was that everyone they had encountered before was all was in involved on in this. Yeah, yeah. So Leatherface gets yelled at for ruining the door. I guess he did something to the door while he was chasing these kids around and killing them. He does assure his father that he killed all the rest. So all they have to do now is finish off Sally and all the evidence of their crimes is taken care of. Yeah, no witnesses. So the two boys are sent by the attendant now to go upstairs and gather up Grandpa. Old Grandpa Leatherface. Yep. So and his face, his face actually does look like leather too. So. Yeah, I guess before when we saw him, he looked like a mummy, but that was only because the makeup was so poor on this character. I guess he's actually supposed to just be a really old living man. But he looks like a uh, an absolute mu- mummy, ghosty, desiccated human. The boys bring him downstairs. And then they cut Sally's finger as she's sitting there tied to a chair. And they put her finger into the mouth of Grandpa. And they edit in this horrible slurping sound. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, as he sucks the blood out of her finger. Yeah, he's slurping the blood out of her finger, and they they just make this sound where it's like... Yeah. (laughs) Completely ridiculous. I laughed for that. Yeah, just like like her finger was a straw, just... (laughs) And he was literally just draining her blood from her body straight through a cut in her finger. Which I found out something interesting about this scene uh, from something I checked out that there was, they had a blood capsule for when they cut her finger, like a tube. And when he actually went to cut her, the cat, the, the, the tube actually broke and, and really cut her finger. And then the actor was actually drinking her blood, her actual blood. So when you see it happen in this film, you're actually watching someone really drinking human blood and she couldn't do anything because she was all tied up and gagged. Like what and they, they probably were like, man, she's really selling this performance. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Kind of gross, but kind of cool. Yeah. Well, now she passes out from the exhaustion of having her blood sucked or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure why she passed out here. But when she well, that's a lot, to, that's a lot to take in at once. I mean, you know, you got a family of killers, uh, all around you, and, and the old grandpa's sucking blood out of your body, and that's a, it's a, it could catch you off guard. So it's a freak out, pass out. She's she's just losing it here, and that's one step over the edge. Yeah. All right. Well, she does pass out, and when she wakes up, this is probably the most famous scene in the movie. It's been recreated many times. I think American Horror Story plays homage to it. Most recently, I played a video game, Resident Evil Seven which starts out almost exactly like this movie. It's the iconic dinner scene at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. She wakes up, immediately immediately starts screaming because she realizes her situation, and Leatherface, the attendant, and the, hitch- <coughs> the hitchhiker all just mimic her scream as she wakes up. There seems to be a pretty decent plate of food in front of her. It doesn't look that bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> it looked like some chicken and peas and stuff, but it was probably human meat and like yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on what was, uh, it, it was set up well. It was dressed well. Uh, who knows what it was? She doesn't spend much time examining the food because the hitchhiker and Leatherface get very close to her, and the camera is positioned so you're kind of seeing what she's seen, and it's here that you see now that. Leatherface has changed his mask and he is now wearing the skin of her ex-boyfriend. Is it still her boyfriend if he's dead? Well, it's an ex now for sure. Yeah, it's her (laughs) ex-boyfriend Jerry and he's got the distinctive afro there so you know it's him and it looks like Mm -hmm. Leatherface has also put some clown makeup on his his skin too. Oh, like dressed as a woman, didn't they? Yeah, maybe... Oh, yeah, that's right, because he had to serve the food. So he's like... Uh, yeah, he's like dressed as a... Nanny. Yeah, yeah, which is just strange, but whatever. Yeah, It's all but strange. He, it's very it's strange. It's all strange. But yeah, Jerry's face is now the mask of Leatherface. So that's a pretty scary moment for Sally. The brothers and the dad now bicker over who has to do more work because the attendant says that he really doesn't have the stomach for murder and he wants the brothers to do it. The hitchhiker says, hey, man, we have to do all the heavy lifting around here. You never want to get your hands dirty. We want to make you do it. And so they're kind of arguing. Then they decide old grandpa should get in on it, right? Yeah, they they decide that grandpa 
should be the one to do the killing blow because I guess back in his heyday, he never missed a cow when he was killing cows at the slaughterhouse. He once set a yeah. record for killing 80 cows in five minutes or something. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, he was the best killer in the old slaughterhouse, though. He had a reputation for never missing. Yeah, but unfortunately, we mistake the grandpa for a mummy. And that's because and... he's so close to death that he <laughs> definitely cannot wield a hammer. Yeah, so they uh, sometimes it's just it's best to just hang the cleats up or the hammer, if you will, you know, like it may be you're past your prime and, uh, you know, it's it's fun to dabble back and think you could do it. But much like, say, uh, Randy Moss or a T.O. return to the NFL, uh, it's just never going to work out like you want it to work out. No, and I don't even know if he wanted this or not, because he never speaks or even moves really at all. But they wheel him over to Sally, and then they hold her head over a bucket. They place the mallet in her head, and she's supposed to be this last symbolic lamb or cow that that this great legendary butcher is going to kill. But instead, he just keeps dropping the hammer on the ground. They even try to hold it for him like you would a baby, like you're feeding a baby at a table. <laughs> and, and they even hit her head a couple times, but there's no force behind it because this grandpa is just... He can't even move. He's so old and pathetic. It's very strange, and 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 it just seemed like a perfect way to line up. Uh, where yeah. where all of a sudden now we have this magical way for her to get out of the situation. Did you see some way she got out? Because I didn't. I think she just ran away. I mean, she yeah, didn't, I don't like break her bonds or do anything. There was no big distraction. Yeah, it's like they were distracted helping Grandpa hold the hammer, I guess, and she wiggled free. I, I don't even remember, yeah. Yeah, well, she stands up from the chair, runs out, and she does her signature move, diving headfirst out the window. Windmilling all the way. Yeah, she Mary Poppins, windmill style, <laughs> to safety, but not full safety yet, because when she lands outside, I will say they did a great job here, kind of with the directing style. Uh -huh. So it was nighttime when she went into the house and everything was scary. But now when she looks up, it's quiet, kind of serene. The sun is back out. She can hear the soft hum of the generator. And the, the house and yard and everything looks pretty normal. It seems like she's escaped completely, even though she's only a few feet away from the situation she was just in. Yeah. So apparently the whole night's gone by. Yeah, the whole night went by. She slept a good part of it away. But the generator sound, which you can hear it constantly through this back half of the movie, it slowly gives way to the more ominous sound of the chainsaw. And Leatherface yeah. has now started up the chainsaw, and he's coming for Sally. And he's got a he's got a nice tie suit jacket and tie on for this one, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. He puts on his. That's right. <laughs> he was just wearing the women's clothes, did he? Is this an editing mistake, or did he just change his clothes? Yeah, well, when when you're going out to uh, hack a girl up with a chainsaw, you got to dress appropriately. Yeah, you got to dress nice for this stuff. And so he does. The it's hitchhiker has... Well, the hitchhiker's the third wheel on this date, because he's coming chasing after Sally, too. And he gets a lot closer than Leatherface. And you mentioned before, like, why? You know, why is this happening why is this being shot this way it annoyed me how close yeah. the hitchhiker was to her he was close enough to grab her several times and did grab her but then she just kept running anyway it's like put a foot yeah. or two between them you know yeah just 
stretch it out a bit. Well, yeah. that, that's also an interesting choice, though. Like the fact that maybe he was catching her and she just wiggled away. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, he had a knife in his hand and he kept stabbing at her, but I don't think he ever managed to connect. But he chases her out into the street, kind of groping at her the whole time. And they get out into the street and the semi truck is plowing down the freeway. Sally moves out of the way, but the hitchhiker just stands there like an idiot, puts his hands up. <laughs> ah, no! It's like no. that Austin Power, the Austin Power scene where the guy's like a mile away from the slow-moving steamroller. No! <laughs> he doesn't move, and this is some pretty innovative that, directing here. It looked pretty good. The uh, It's pretty good, yeah. It looked gruesome. It right over him. Yeah, and he gets sucked right under the wheels of everything, and you see him just get crunched under all the wheels from like a long shot, and it looked pretty good. I had to say, like I was, I was impressed with that shot. I mean, it was it was clearly a doll or a dummy, but from the distance, yeah, yeah. and it looked, yeah, it was very believable and, and looked good for that. <laughs> so that's the end of the hitchhiker, the trucker, and this poor guy, man. He, <laughs> what did he walk into? Yeah, he just murdered. I mean, well, he didn't murder him. He just killed a guy, ran him over and killed him. And that somehow is the least of his concerns. Uh Because he sees this bloody and battered girl run up to him, begging him for help. And right behind her, you see this chainsaw wielding, skin face wearing. (laughs) Dinner suit wearing. (laughs) Yeah, dinner suit wearing maniac chasing after her with a chainsaw. So and he's trying, yeah, and he's trying to get in the door, and he's like got the chainsaw and is carving at the door and stuff. And it's like, okay, obviously that's not going to work, bro. But he's like just trying to chop at the door, and he- he's all psycho, and and, uh, and she get she gets out there. Well, in- instead of driving away or putting it to the floor, which I don't know if that would have worked because trucks are pretty slow to start, but they get out of the car, of the cab on the other side, and they run away. But the truck driver had grabbed a wrench to defend himself. <laughs> yeah. And he, he runs away for a while. But then when he realizes that Leatherface is getting too close, this dude turns around and with the ferocity of a hobbit throwing a rock, he throws <laughs> this wrench, dead square hits Leatherface right in the forehead and knocks him out for at least a few oh, seconds. Yeah. And, I, and I was just like, wow, that worked too perfectly. <laughs> What a toss. I was like, that's exactly what normally you want to happen, but doesn't happen. You're like, oh, but this time it actually happens. And he connects on it. And oh, my God. Wow. That actually worked. It worked perfectly. And I found it strange that this actor or this character wasn't given a single line. He didn't even say help or who are you or what are you doing or holy shit. He didn't yeah. say anything. He, he was dead silent the entire time. He's running for his life and killing people and saving people. And well, they didn't have to pay him if he didn't ha- as much if, if he didn't have a line. Oh, the poor guy. Yeah, you're right. He probably was just listed as uncredited or as an extra or something. Yeah, featured featured extra. Well, he does save her temporarily by knocking down Leatherface. Another truck drives by, and this is a pickup truck. Sally just hops right in the back. Well, no, she flags him down. He kind of sees what's going on. We never see this driver, but he sees what's going on. Sally jumps in the back of the truck. The truck driver from the first truck runs in the opposite direction. 
So we never see him again. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> where did, where did he go? Where did he go? Yeah, he runs away from his truck and away from the safe truck. So he's yeah. seemingly just running barefoot or, you know, running down Highway 66 or whatever just that is. Still going. Yeah. <laughs> he probably never stops man. he probably just runs for the rest of his life yeah it's like and then they're they're in the truck and then not like they swing around to get him they go in the other direction yeah they go the other way leatherface is back up now he's got the chainsaw and he's swinging it at sally while she's in the bed of the truck it's pretty close it's pretty tense there but it's like uh, if you go to a fun house and they have a chainsaw wielding maniac you know he's not actually going to hurt you. He's just going to swing around you a little bit and make it look cool. That's kind of yeah. what Leatherface is doing. He's not really trying to hit her. He's just yeah. It was like show. it was like the Leatherface dance. He's just like dancing with the like swinging it around up and down and around. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually how the movie ends with her escaping off into the sunset, Sally, and mm-hmm. Leatherface doing now the angry Leatherface dance of anguish in the street. Because he, he let somebody, he let yeah. somebody escape, escape. So he failed his father. He failed the legacy of his family by letting one of the cows escape slaughter. And his brother, his brother just died. Yeah, his brother just died, and I'm assuming the cops are going to find out about this eventually. So. Yeah, once she calms down a little bit and takes a breath, maybe sleeps a bit. Yeah, gets out something to eat that's not human. She's. She's going to need a good shower because she is absolutely drenched in blood. Yeah, her own and others. Yeah. She just had like a plus 100-year-old mummified grandfather sucking on her finger, sucking blood out of her finger. So she's had a traumatic experience. What if she got turned on by that and she was never the same? (laughs) Like the next time she was in bed with somebody, she was like, just suck my finger real quick. Yeah, well, let me cut it first. Just suck my blood. Yeah, let me cut it. No, just suck the blood. Just suck the blood. Do it. Do it. Yeah, that's uh, that's hot. That's hot. (laughs) And that's a hot finish to a hot movie. Hot times. And that concludes A Hot Summer of Serial Killers. Yep, yep. And that was... uh... Yeah, that was an interesting film. I'm not going to lie. It was... uh... It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, like I've said a couple times, but it's just, you know, it still is so poorly acted, I guess, that it's hard to ignore. It's it's hard for me. It, for me, it's hard to ignore that. But there are really interesting aspects of it. And I'm not big into the horror genre, but I imagine this is kind of the basis. It's interesting seeing the what it all comes from sort of a lot of it comes from and seeing the basics because there were parts of it where, you know, it was cap, it was captivating to me what what was going to happen. So. Yeah. At, at the time it was, well, now I guess you could look at it and say it's horror movie or horror directing one Oh one, but at the time, you know, it was the original. So all these ideas were very creative, innovative, realistic, and scary at the time. It doesn't hold up as much now, maybe, in yeah, those regards. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you got to give some credit for that stuff. The acting, oh, thing, always. It wasn't. It was bad. It was bad acting. But I, when it acting is bad enough, I enjoy it as being bad because it's funny. So that's kind of how I viewed the acting performances. It was funny. And yeah. Franklin cracked me up a few times. 
Sally cracked me up with her windmill stuff. And, you know, the guy that played Leatherface, it's not like that's a grand acting performance, but it was no. good and believable. So I won't hold the acting against it either. Yeah. And it, it's like, I could, I could, I could get on boat with that. Uh, if it was like, um, if it, if they meant to do that, but the fact that they missed the mark so, so much with the performances, is just kind of like, Oh God. But yeah, it is funny at times. And particularly Franklin, he has some real, moments to just make me chuckle but all the other actors to me were pretty lackluster and just kind of lacked any panache to their performance i guess yeah i can't argue that they they weren't great the villains were better than the heroes for sure in, in terms of depth of but character the, yeah but the story was kind of interesting and then when you when you layer in that the fact that they're they've got a whole family in there and the old grandfather's drinking blood. Maybe he's drinking blood to stay young, stuff like that. Who knows? Or to stay alive or whatever. It kind of adds an element of uh, creepy creepiness and, and scariness, I guess, to it. Yeah. yeah. It was good. It was a fun movie. And it went well with the other two movies we did because Silence of the Lambs was the classic, you know, with the iconic acting performance. Natural Born Killers was fun, entertainment. And it also was a good think piece. You know, it gave you things to think about and dwell mm -hmm. on. And then this movie was, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. It relates to the basis audience. and But it's fun. You know what I mean? It was just a fun movie that it, you can enjoy. If you like the genre, there's no reason you wouldn't like this movie. But it's it was a popcorn-style movie. You know, it's, it was yeah. a blockbuster of the 70s, I would say. Yeah. Well, I don't know if blockbuster is the right word. But it was a movie that everyone would want to... To go out and see on date night, you know. Well, here's it. It made a lot of money. So, the budget was between eighty to one hundred and forty thousand dollars, right? So that's 80, the cheapest dollars. Eighty thousand dollars, like that's the cheapest movie we've reviewed yet. I've got to say. Yeah. The box office it made thirty point nine million dollars. Whoa. So they made essentially. 20 and they, they made 30 times their money almost like <laughs> so do you think these actors got a big royalty check too from this i don't know about all that but somebody got rich off of it probably tobey hooper they have tobey oh he the actors never it? had another role except for the guy that was in richie rich maybe they never had to work again they made so much money off of this yeah, they got know. so rich off this thing they never worked again yeah but uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of money to clear off of not a lot to spend. So they 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 maximize their profit, and not to mention that the movie is still regarded and still thought of as as something that like a you know from the forefront of the this, these types of movies. Well, I think if you put this movie up side by side with the 2003 remake that we almost did, not only is it way better, but it's way classier. Because the remake goes very in depth with the gore, very explicit, and if, I mean they just yeah. gratuitously show Jessica Biel running around in a tank top, wet and covered in blood through the whole second half of the movie. They didn't go that far in this one. They why didn't we watch that one? Jesus, I could have watched Jessica Biel run around wet and naked for however long. Oh, you can find that on YouTube if you really want to see it. But the movie is as a movie, that old one was better. Yes, way yeah, I better. Agree. I agree. But before we get to the scores for this movie, 
Did you have any favorite lines from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I only wrote down one line. For some reason, I stopped taking notes a, a little bit through. But I have one line that was uh, comes in the beginning, and it was um, – what's his name? Our favorite uh, wheelchair guy. Franklin. Franklin, yeah. Franklin, uh, he says – they're talking about pitching up, picking up the hitchhike, and he's like, "The son of a bitch is going to smell just like the slaughterhouse." <laughs> and I was like, "That's such a funny little line to throw in there. Like, how does he know he's from the slaughterhouse?" But he nailed it, nailed it, nailed the the nail on the head there. Yeah. And that was literally the only line I wrote down. Well, I have a favorite line from that very scene, but it's not the same one. And it's right after they pick up the hitchhiker, and Franklin says. While staring at the hitchhiker right in the face, he says, I think we just picked up Dracula. Yeah. That's pretty rude to say in front of your guests. Yeah, right. Why would you call him Dracula? And then later he asks if he offended him. You think I said anything to offend him? Yeah. He uh, called him yeah. Dracula, pal. He called him Dracula before he even said hello. Well, I had more favorite lines than you. I had a couple other ones, too. And uh, one of them comes from the hitchhiker at the beginning when he's talking about the town and he says, things happen here about, they don't tell about. So I'm, he's saying like, Hey man, this town is fucked up. Like he's almost warning them, even though he's part of their downfall, he's almost warning them like, Hey man, better get out of here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then later on after the hitchhiker nearly cuts off Franklin's hand and they have to kick him out of the van. He says, Franklin says, I'm about half ready to call a cop. Like, dude, that, the guy just tried to cut your hand off. Yeah. What are you waiting on, man? Call a cop now. Hey, this is Texas. You don't just go around trusting the police, okay? There, it's a, it's a very libertarian type of state. Well, he doesn't call, so I guess he knows better. <laughs> well, what's what? What are you throwing out there for the ranking? Or do you have another? Do you have more oh, I got more. Yeah, don't don't oh. rush me through. This is a great dialogue heavy movie all right it's it's not though really like it they, they don't even have dialogue for like the last you know 20 minutes or whatever but yeah uh, well i mean come on you've gone with some lines like uh what was the one i gave you shit for oh yeah hiya pal hiya pal hiya pal all right fair enough right. go on so in this one franklin and sally are sitting there waiting for their friends and franklin says sally and Sally, finally fed up with Franklin's bullshit, says, what now? And, and instead of responding, oh, yeah. Franklin just says, oh, never mind. And, yeah. and he never says it. It's a great mystery. You never know what the fuck Franklin wanted. I did enjoy that moment where she gets fed up with him and is just like, what now? Yeah, she just like tells him off. What do you want it's me, like, Franklin? It's like, I've been waiting for somebody to say that to Franklin all night. Now, I've got a, a couple others here. One is after the attendant loads Sally into the truck. He gets in the truck like he's ready to drive away, but then he remembers something. He runs back in the house or the, uh, the gas station, and he shuts off the lights. And he comes back out, and he says, had to lock up and get the lights. Cost of electricity is enough to drive a man out of business. And then he starts doing this crazy laugh again. So very good father, you know. My dad always instilled in me, like, turn off the lights, son. And uh, yeah. this guy's smart enough. Well, once you lights. start once you start paying the electric bill, you realize 
what your parents were talking about. Yeah, this shit ain't cheap. And then the last one is the attendant says to Leatherface as he's moaning and groaning through the house, shut up, you bitch hog. (laughs) So that's it. That is uh, some great, great dialogue in this movie and great favorite lines. Superb writing. Absolutely superb. So let's go ahead and get into the scores. What kind of score do you have for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Well, I'm not going to lie. It's not in my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? It's not a movie that I would pick to watch. And it, I, but I, I respect it for what it is, you know, for what, for what they were doing and what they were going after and the fact that they came first. And so I put it personally right on the verge of rewatchability. So if I was just going to grade it from what I saw, it would have been like a 10 or 11, like right at rewatchable, a little above rewatchable. But because it came first, I'm going to bump it up a couple points and give it a, a boost because it was, you know, setting down, breaking, breaking new ground. So I'm going to raise it up to a 13 and a half, 13 and a half rancid tacos because it's obviously got some lasting power if it's, we're still talking about it. And, you know, it's 50 some years later, almost 50 years later or whatever. Aww. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's rewatchable. It's not an awesome movie by any stretch of the means to, to me, but it's, um, it's got its merits and, uh, and it's at least worth a look. Well, I don't know if that's a brave ranking by you or a cowardly ranking. Are you afraid I'm going to yell at you with that? Or I mean, I expected you to go well below ten. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, well I mean, I, mean, I said, said you were so rosy in the last episode, and you you promised not to be so rosy. I didn't promise not to be so rosy. I don't do anything based on what you tell me to do, and if you haven't learned that by now, uh, all right. Listen, I rank, I call them as I see them, Johnny. And I saw a, a, about an 11, 10 or 11, like right on the verge of rewatchable. Like it was, there was interesting marks. But because it came first and because it was at the forefront, I bumped it up, okay? I gave it the respect that you would want me to give it. Right. But to me, that's a, it's a 10 or an 11. All right. Well, that's, that's actually a very fair score. And I'm not far off from what you're saying. So for my score, I do think the movie is rewatchable if you're a fan of the genre, not only that, but if you're a fan of the genre, it's a must see. However, stacking it up against real all around movies, it doesn't hold a candle to that, you know, so it's not going to be up there with Goodfellas and Titanic and movies like that, that we've already done or talked about. It's never going to be there because way back in the horror genre series that we did, we talked about these movies need their own scale. You know, it's you you break you grade them against other horror movies, and because of that, it can never be just an awesome, amazing, great film. But it is rewatchable. I've watched it a few times, and it's good, entertaining. It achieved its purpose, and because of that, I gave it a fourteen out of twenty. So it's just above your score. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, so so I gave it the I gave it the handicap that boosted it right to about where you're where you're at. Like if I was if I loved the movie and this genre as much as you did, I would have given it pretty much the same score. Yeah, and I am gonna put the modifier on there as if 
I was just ba- basing this on a horror movie scale, it would be well above a 15. Because for a horror movie, it's a great movie. But this podcast isn't just about horror movies, and I like to rank them against other movies, and it just doesn't hold up there. So on yeah. a different scale, it would be a much higher score. But on our scale, 14 out of 20. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that does it for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and for Serial Killer Summer. Next week, we will have the award show for this series. And where should people email us? Email us at rancidtacopodcast at gmail.com. And we did get an email, and it's, it's from my mother, Paula Sanders, and I'd like to give a shout out to her. And the email states, Mary Steenbergen and Ted Danson are married in real life. Also, love the day in the life of peace. Very funny. Look forward to your show each week. We'll listen to an old one while Mason is on vacation. Love you, Paula. So obviously that was a few weeks back when you were on vacation, and we did the uh, Life in the Day of for the Batman Award Show. So if you haven't heard that, go back and take a listen to the Life in the Day of and the Award Show for for our it's, Batman and Joker series. It's day in the life of. What? It's not life in the day of. Yeah, day, day in the life of. Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Day in the life of. A life, life in, in the, the day, day of, of the dead. Yeah, you could do a whole life in the day of the dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but day in the life of. Yeah, so go back and check that, that out if you're interested in finding out what the hell my mother was talking about. Yes, and thank you, Paula, for the email. I love getting feedback, and I love getting new listeners, and I, I especially get a joy whenever we get ones from other countries. So we've yeah. been getting some more and more and more, so it's really fun to uh, get feedback. Anyone else that wants to email us that's not our family, please feel free. Yeah, we'd love to get an email from someone other than our mothers. That'd be great. Yeah, and <laughs> once again, that is podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to say except for hail payment. And hail Blix. Right off the bat. Well, in that case, then hail Brando. Well, then hail Koba. And hail Heath. And hail Mary Moss. Oh. Yeah, I was close. Yeah, I was saving it for you, but then I was going to take it next. I'll take Melkor. I'll hail Melkor. Hail yeah, Melkor. Hail mothers. <laughs> Two yeah. shows in a row. I got it. Yeah, well, I'll take. Uh, I'll hail Koba. Uh, it's like we're picking. I already hailed Koba. Did you? Didn't I? Did I hail? No, Koba? You held Blicks. I don't think you held Koba. Uh, I think I held Koba already. Whatever. Let's get out of here. Yeah, let's have a good night. Well, I, the night's over. Let's have a good day tomorrow. Actually. Yeah, too late. Next night we'll have a good night. This night, oof. Oh, my lord. <laughs> Marron. All right. We'll see you next week for the award show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll shit. We'll see you. I can't say see you next week twice (laughs) in the same sentence. (laughs) And we'll shit. We will do that at some point throughout the week. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And you will hear us next week. Come on, Franklin. It'll be fun, Franklin. (laughs) (laughs) Hee, (laughs) hee, (laughs) hee. It's not. It's just my face mask.
Everyone loves movies, from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos? This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls.